Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn. And good morning. This is Jim Shoemaker. I've got the left seat today. I'm down the driving seat, Art, for the first time in a long time because uh, Mr. Quinn is in Chicago at the Morningstar Convention, and he is on the phone. So good morning, sir. Good morning. And where actually are you today? Are you sure you're in Chicago? Can I really trust that you're in Chicago or are you on a beach somewhere? You can absolutely trust that I'm in <laughs> Chicago. In fact, I spent the morning out walking by Lake Michigan. So ah. I'm definitely in Chicago. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I know there's a lot going on up there. For I guess for our listening audience, when you go to the conference, and you, you've been several years, so this is not a new thing, and everybody knows I'm right. kidding you about going on. But I don't know. You could be on a beach. But <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the reality. It, you know, for, for our listening audience, what is the Morningstar Conference, and what is it about? What is, what's going on there? Right. Morningstar, you know, is just a research shop. So they do a lot of research on a lot of different investments, investment strategies, investment managers, uh, you know, individual companies. So the Morningstar Investment Conference is a conference that brings in all of these experts in the field. And this year we have about 2,000 attendees. This is the 26th year of the conference. Uh, so just a lot of the best and the brightest minds show up here to share their thoughts and their ideas. Is that why I'm here and you're there? <laughs> no, I don't know how I get lucky enough to come up here, but it is fortunate because I love hearing these guys. Well, I know you get to you do get to pick their brain apart, and I know you, you're looking for a lot of things, and you go through, and you're you're asking a lot of questions. So, I guess uh, you know when you talk about these people, these managers, um, who have you heard? I mean, you get to hear a lot of spe- people speak. So, who's been the highlight so far? Right. I think one of the highlights was the keynote speaker, and that was Dr. Michael Hassenstab. You know, he is an international uh, fixed income bond manager, just had some really great thoughts on the global economy. And a lot of these guys really focus on the global economy. Uh, then we heard, you know, Will Danoff, uh, who obviously is, is famous for his work at Fidelity and on the Contra Fund. Uh, Bill Gross spoke yesterday, of course, you know, from PIMCO. And, and obviously he's been in the press a lot and is a constant guest on uh, MSNBC. Uh, you know, we've heard uh, Matt Egan from J.P. Morgan, David Hero from Oakmark, just a lot of the really great minds, again, in the investing world. Well, you know, the bull market that we so talk about a lot, and, you know, for the S&P 500 began, would you believe this, Keith, 64th month, and that uh, as of 6-6, that's last Friday, uh, that's uh, or 6-9, I guess, last Friday. But, the, you know, that's the 11th, 11th bull market for stocks since 1950. And uh, if you look at the previous 10 bulls that lasted for at least six years, that's 72 months. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty, pretty impressive when you think about that. Of course, when you think overall, the longest bull market for the S&P 500 since 1950 lasted nine and a half years. Uh, wow. wow. I mean, so, so are you hearing that from these guys? Are they saying this bull market's going to last nine and a half years? Well, they, they really, you know, they don't talk about it in those terms. You know, they're looking at the macro uh, picture as far as, you know, what's going on in the economy. But I have not heard one single person talk about a correction. You know, they've talked an awful lot about individual companies, you know, how they sit down with the management teams. And, you know, we've been talking recently about active management. And really, that's what it is. Uh, you know, we uh, spoke with one of the managers, and he talked about, uh, and actually this was uh, uh, Will Danoff from Fidelity, that he meets with 20 management teams a week. Uh, and he likes to see, you know, just see the look in their eyes. Are they excited about their business? 
Uh, so these guys don't think in terms of, of, you know, bull markets necessarily. They're focused on these individual companies uh, and trying to find out, you know, how they make money and is that somewhere that they need to uh, invest. Keith is in Chicago at the Morningstar Conference. Keith, again, give us the 30,000-foot view. What's it all about? What's the conference about? Sure, it is all about investing. You know, these are investment managers. Some of the best managers uh, from around the world are all here to share their thoughts and their ideas. We have about 2,000 people here this year, so it's a great conference, uh, a lot of uh, great ideas. Well, you know, when you talk about ideas, one of the things that I was reading recently in Barron's, some, an opinion that as of Friday, that's as of last Friday, that the um, close, of course, for the S&P closed at 1936. Most of the, they were said that, that Barron's was saying they were quoting six of the ten Wall Street equity strategists, six of ten of the of, of Wall Street equity strategists forecasted that the market was still lower value. It's 1936 than what they had expected to be by the end of the year, 1231-14. And uh, they had made those predictions, that, you know, in, Janu- in December of last year. Are you hearing that up there, and I know you don't get in so much to the economics up there, you're more about what the managers are doing and what stocks are doing, but are you hearing, you said there was nobody predicting uh, a correction, but what's the underlying thoughts as you're listening to people? Well, the underlying thought, you know, we've had a really good run-up in the market. You know, we've talked about this, the valuations as far as uh, U.S. stocks uh, are, you know, pretty fairly valued, if not a little overvalued in comparison to the rest of the world. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, where you find value now, and a lot of it is internationally because they haven't had the run-up that we had in the U.S. markets last year where we gained 32%. So it's really looking for that value and trying to find that value. So even though we would say the U.S. market is fairly valued, maybe a little overvalued, still, that still doesn't mean it can't go higher with stocks. Okay. Well, that's, you know, again, I think for our listening audience, that's something that we're not predicting anything here. We're just quoting no. what we're listening and what we're finding out. So I think that's important. That we're not trying to predict the future, that we're going to have a correction or we're not going to have a correction. The market's going to rise or not going to rise. The, the point is, is uh, you don't know, uh, but the reality is we stay focused on what we're doing. We're still looking for managers, good managers. And, you, boy, the, the people you talked about a few minutes ago, uh, what a what a speaking group. I mean, you're talking about this just is one sentence. of the strongest lineups we've had in years, Jim. No. And I think you're exactly right. You know, we don't know when a correction is going to happen. And I think that's what why these guys don't necessarily worry about it, because we certainly can't worry about or plan for something that we have no idea when it's going to occur. All right. Let me piggyback off of that, because that is such a that's a great statement. We don't know when it's going to happen, so we don't worry about it. Here's the question that came in, and anybody listening, if you've got a question for us, Keith or myself, at TalkMoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com, it's just simply send us an email at TalkMoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com, and we'll get the question out. And, I mean, we'll be something. We'll try our best to formulate it for you, those that are listening. And then, of course, if you want us to, we'll go directly to you and help you with the question. But the question came in is how much, and Keith, listen to this now, how much diversification is enough. Now, I want you to, first of all, explain diversification to everybody. But then the question, I mean, a great question, how much diversification is enough? Diversification, we look at our asset allocation. So how much, you know, we put into stocks, how much we put into bonds, how much we put into cash. And then we diversify these positions. So if we have 60% of our portfolio in stocks, we diversify that 60% by putting some in international stocks, some in U.S. stocks, maybe some in real estate. We want some exposure to different areas of the market and areas of the market that behave differently in different economic cycles. So that's what we're trying to do is to give a good, uh, smoother return profile by having some exposure to these different areas of the market. That's ultimately what diversification is. 
traditionally, we thought that a 30 to 50 stock portfolio would be considered diversified. Uh, and we really think that that is kind of not enough anymore. You really need exposure to all these different areas of the market. So you need some exposure to some smaller stocks. You need exposure to some larger stocks. As I mentioned, you need exposure to some stocks that are in the emerging market countries, the Chinas, the Brazils, uh, the Indians. So that's what we think of as diversification. In the stock market, so do you diversify in the bond market also? Absolutely you do. So not only do you diversify amongst different maturities, you might have some longer dated bonds, you'll have some shorter dated bonds, you'll have different types of bonds, you might have some sovereign debt if you have international debt. You may have some corporate bonds. You could have some mortgage-backed securities. So, again, getting different exposure to different areas of the bond market that behave differently in different interest rate cycles and react differently to economic pressure. Well, you know, when you, when you come back and tell me that, the reality is, I guess, that, you know, is there a way that a person could over-diversify? And you think about it, sure, you could get so much that you're spread so thin that your portfolio is not effective, but reality is, you would really have to, you know, the larger amount of money that you're investing, the more you should diversify. I mean, I think simple diversification for some people is 25% in this, 25% in this, you know, four times. Four times 25 is 100%. And you just diversify that. That's very simple. But what you're talking about is if, you, if your asset allocation says it's 50% stocks and 50% bonds, that 50% stocks is really going to be scattered over a multi-group of sectors, and that can go from emerging markets to large-cap growth, large-cap value. That's what you're talking about. That's exactly right. We don't want to own all large-cap U.S. stocks, right. even though they had such a great year last year. We have to remember that from 2000 to 2009, the S&P 500 was basically flat. So we want to have some exposure to different areas of the market. We don't want to put all our uh, eggs in one basket. Well, that's a great point. Um, I, the, I hope that answers the question. I think we have. But let me ask you, here's the word. Uh, from our investment words that we need to ask to you, and I want to, you know, this is when we get this question some, what does this mean, what does it do? But now it's a word, and we do a word every month and every week, uh, and the reality is, which, again, back to that education process, helping our listeners and our clients understand more and more about what we do and why we're doing it. We talk about it in the office, and actually when we sit down with a client, we talk about benchmarking. So, Keith, help under help me understand and explain to what it means for us to benchmark our portfolio. Sure. When we look at a manager, so if we have a large cap growth manager, uh, we want to look at all of the subjective things, you know, what their investment philosophy is, how they invest their money. But we also want to look at the objective stuff, the return numbers, because that's important as well. So when we look at the return number, what their performance has been, how do we evaluate that? Well, we look at the other large-cap growth uh, managers and see how they've done. So you want to benchmark them against their peer group, which would be, in this case, large-cap growth, and that way you can measure how they're performing versus the rest of the people in the market. So ultimately, that's what we do when we benchmark a fund. So when we're benchmarking, it's using something, a standard, for a comparison. And, exactly right. And we, we may, you have to be careful with what the standard is. And I think we talk that, about, and that's where it gets tricky, right? Yeah, that's that's the part that's very difficult. You can use a standard that's not even compared, no comparison whatsoever, and you call that a benchmark, and that's not always the case. So what you said, if it's large cap growth, benchmark it against the large cap growth, and that, that way you're 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 looking you're looking at a comparison that's the same, and it gives you a real good solid. And what we're trying to do, obviously, is to determine. Can we help our managers? Can we manage our managers that's working with us to to do the best they can against a benchmark? And as as Bob Dahl said a couple of weeks ago, 
they're going to go against the benchmark, and if they're managing against the benchmark 52 to 54%, beating the benchmark on a regular basis, they're heroes. And that's a exactly difficult right. thing they're to do. Great yeah. job. Well, let me ask you this. We've got, got just a couple of minutes here. Do you feel like that what you're seeing there, I heard you say that there's this optimism, uh, there's this passion. Uh, give me the kind of the thought process. What do you mean? Do you actually see there's an energy at, at Morningstar? Absolutely. You know, when we talk about investing, when they're looking at buying these companies, what the exciting thing is, you know, the technology, the innovation. So not only are they looking at companies, you know, that exist now, they're looking at the next thing. So someone asked me about Apple, uh, you know, and we're talking about Apple because it's the largest company on earth. Well, you don't necessarily want to buy Apple, and I'm not recommending it or not recommending it, but you want to find the next Apple, and that's what's so exciting. They're looking for the new ideas, these new companies, uh, and it's a, it's a really it's a great environment. Well, you know, I appreciate that you're there, and I uh, I know you do a ton of work, and, and you're up there, and I know you're working. I mean, you know I was kidding about the beach, but... But, but uh, I think that would be a good idea for next a, week. Yeah, next, the next one should be on the beach, right? Uh, I know that you're constantly involved with that, and uh, and I don't think anybody would ever say that Keith is uh, not doing because I sense I sense a minor little bit of passion from Keith when we talk about investing. What do you think? I, uh, it's it's an exciting time, Jim. You know, we've talked about the economy, and obviously we still have problems. But when you start looking at, you know, how far we've come, and again, at the great things about this com- uh, country, uh, it's just an exciting time. Do you think tapering is going to have any effect? I mean, we didn't raise interest rates. So the Fed didn't. So your thoughts on that? I mean... Right. Tapering is a, you know, is a big deal. Obviously, the Fed and monetary policy, that's been something that, uh, you know, has, has had an impact on the markets without a doubt. Uh, the Fed is still on pace to continue their tapering to be through with quantitative easing by the end of the year. You know, there was some concern that this would pull some liquidity out of the system, the global monetary system, and that may have some impact on some of the emerging market countries especially. Uh, but one of the presenters, Dr. Hassenstab, made a great point that the Bank of Japan is not backing off on quantitative easing. They are printing money left and right and plan to continue it years after the Fed stops. So they will step in and take over this role of providing liquidity to the world. Uh, so it is not the end of the world when the Fed uh, tapers. Well, you know, guys, I just appreciate you. You do a great job, and you're always very – and I do like your passion. And I know i got to let you get back to work and, uh, you know, go back to listening and, and spending the time there. If you just tuned in, I've been talking with Keith Quinn. He's normally here in the left seat of the studio, and today he is in Chicago at the Morningstar Convention and uh, our conference. And, uh, boy, I mean, just a ton of information. Thanks, Keith. I, uh, you have a wonderful day. Stay working, man. I will, and thank you, sir. And you're doing a great job in that left seat. <laughs> well, I got a great teacher. All right. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to KWAM. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.